as more flags hit the ground, as more the radar beeped and we confirmed that there is a high chance there's a grave here, people started to come. They started to ask questions. I started to explain to them and, you know, watching their reaction, I realized they were getting triggered. So we we're like, okay, we got to increase our services, our support here. And so by, by last Wednesday, we, we finished with over 700 flags in the ground. And that's when we were like, okay, we got to control this and we got to tell this story. That's Chief Cad, Mr. Lorm, Chief of the Cowess' First Nation, Saskatchewan, Treaty 4 Territory, addressing the 751 unmarked children's graves found at the former Maryvale Indian Residential School. He's our guest today on the Akamemak Podcast. and welcome to the Akamemak Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemak is a Plains Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. So on this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders and community leaders. And today we are discussing the recent shocking and heartbreaking find of hundreds more unmarked children's graves. In British Columbia, 182 unmarked graves have just been found using ground-penetrating radar at the site of a former residential school at Cranbrook. This followed the find of 215 children's graves at the site of the Kamloops Indian Residential School. In Saskatchewan, 751 unmarked graves were found at the former Maryvale Indian Residential School that operated from 1898 to 1996. All three schools were run by the Catholic Church with an aim of wiping out indigenous language and culture. These grave sites are validations of survivor accounts of the brutal physical, mental, and sexual abuse experienced by tens of thousands of indigenous children in residential schools over many generations. And today, we are grateful and thankful to be joined by Cadmus Delorme. He's chief and a proud member of the Cowess's First Nation, where those 751 unmarked graves were found. Chief Cadmus, welcome to wow to our Akamemak podcast. Thank you. So, Chief, what was your reaction? You know, when you started discovering those graves and, and the numbers, they, they seemed to kept growing and growing and growing. What was your what was your initial reaction? Uh, before I explain, I, I just wanted to mention that there is a one eight six six help number for anybody listening that may be triggered. Um, you know, th- this is. Uh, important to all of us but at the same time our, our history so so please reach out we're all in this together um two years ago cows's first nation we, we've been doing this gravesite rejuvenation for for a few years now the planning and uh we were going to start last year we always knew these were unmarked graves area so we partnered with sas polytechnic an institution in saskatchewan and because of covid we paused the year and um, we decided to start June 2021. And a week before we were going to start, uh, the Kamloops Residential School uncovered 215 graves. And so we like, what are we going to find? And so, you know, growing up on cows, as you hear the oral stories, you know there's unmarked graves there. So when the uh, technicians came, we uh, bought a pack of 200 flags just from um, Home Depot, just, just your little steel metal with the little plastic flag at the end. And within a day and a half, we used up our, our first pack and we still had many square meters to go. 
So, you know, as more flags hit the ground, as more as the radar beeped and we confirmed that there is a high chance there's a grave here, it, it just got very emotional. It got very, um, you know, like I, I started to get worried right away. I'm like, people are seeing these flags. People would stop by, ask, what are those flags? And, you know, I would tell them and, you know, watching their reaction, I realized they were getting triggered. So we we're like, okay, we got to increase our services, our support here. Mm -hmm. And so by, by last Wednesday, we, we finished with over 700 flags in the ground. And that's when we were like, okay, we got to control this and we got to tell this story. Wow. Chief, like I knew you grew up on the reserve, so you had an idea where these grave sites were. Like, was there something that led you to exactly that, that spot to, to, to keep researching and investigating? This was a Roman Catholic run grave site. And so, um, you know, they, they it, it was somewhat, you know, neat if I can, if I can say it like that. And, you know, it started right at where this walking path started. Uh, even as a kid, I knew that's where it started. There was oral stories. There's graves on the road. There's graves across the, the fence. And, you know, there's rows there today and infrastructure there today as we grew around that area after residential school time. And so we, we asked the technicians to check those areas. We didn't have any hits, but um, we, we kind of, I knew where it started. And then bringing an elder and we brought in an elder that used to work for the old blades in the 60s. And she confirmed this is where it starts. And so we started there and our square meters uh, phase one area. We just went down um, the, the walk path. And eventually when you get closer to the cross or in the 70s, that's when the headstones of today are still there. Mm -hmm. But that's when you know the Roman Catholic Church stopped overseeing the gravesite at that time because that's where our headstones are from our community gravesite that took over in the 70s. Oh, so Chief, again, this was a Catholic-run um, graveyard and there was a Catholic church there and the Catholic church uh implemented the you know, ran the residential school there there are stories that in ninth in the 1960s that the catholic church bulldozed or took down many grave markers at maryvale and we all know that's against the law to remove head markers do you, have you heard those stories and do you think this was an attempt to hide like the large numbers of graves or children that died in their care there are many oral stories as to to the removal of the headstones and you know survivors are telling me their 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 view and i'm listening and you know one view was is that there was a priest named father carrier he was upset at the way that the gravesite wasn't looking neat so he removed the headstones he had his maintenance person push the headstones on the north side of the gravesite by the river there's some buffalo berries there today and we're actually searching for them right now those those buried headstones and a second story was is that um father lacombe got in an argument with um one of the leadership of cows and in retaliation removed the headstones so so national chief i'm born in the 80s but you know as the person for the cows's first nation as their chief i am listening but the main thing on this is that the the priest had the authorization to save or remove these headstones and he decided to remove these headstones so you mentioned survivors and and their stories and their teachings you know and their experiences 
Um, let's talk about like things that's like you've listened to many of them. Are there is there are there any such stories that stick out in your mind as the most impactful or relevant from any of the survivors you've listened to? You know, I um I, I read a lot of mental health books, National Chief. I I feel my locus of control on my personal journey is um well set for whatever is in front of me. And hearing some of these stories, mm-hmm. you know, just just shakes me to the core on on some of the you know, I, I had one survivor come to the gravesite and and tell me that he actually dug holes and, and these were his 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 wow. friends at the time. I, I had others come and, you know, just, just say that, you know, the years of being an altar boy or, you know, the role the females played with, with the Roman Catholic Church as little kids. Um you know, their, their stories are, are, are being shared, you know, specifically with me as, you know, I, I, I want to be a good listener. But there's one that sticks out to me. And um, if you weren't baptized, um, the Roman Catholic Church uh, would not allow you to be buried in their gravesite. At that time, it was their gravesite. And a few have come forward and said that their baby wasn't baptized and they, they know where they're buried on the outside of the old fence. So we asked them to stand where they thought the baby was in national chief. We found the, the spots and um, just standing there and watching them like, you know, shed some tears and, you know, it's almost like closure. Like, you know, and I, 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 I know I, I referenced and said, listen, like we are going to put something here and honor this, like, like this is healing. This is getting stronger one day at a time. Wow. Chief, that, that, that's a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of grief. And, and, and uh, how, how are you and, and your First Nation, your people coping with the finding of these unmarked graves? National Chief, um, colonization was tough on us. Decolonizing is going to be even more tough. Uh, we got some strong Roman Catholic causes citizens. And their view of this is different than survivors that that have had that have intergenerational trauma from their experience and so you know as as their spokesperson you know mm-hmm. these are trying for causes internally we we have a lot of healing to do we have a lot of tough conversations to do so you know the 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 citizens of causes um you know i i gotta give an estimate 80 percent are ready for this 20 mm-hmm. percent are are upset uh, mad frustrated and you know we're, we're, we're all in this together chief cadmus how how would you find justice for those unmarked graves those people those little children those unmarked graves and what does that look like you know things like commemoration and respect and dignity words like that come to mind but what what does that in your mind look like for you in terms of looking after those lost spirits Justice is about truth. And there's only one truth to the Maryville Residential School run by the Roman Catholic Church, funded by Mm -hmm. the government of Canada. And so, you know, justice comes with telling the truth, telling the story to cows, to friends and family that their survivors went to residential school to Canada, to anybody who, who thinks this is the greatest country in the world or loves being Canadian, 
This is something in our history we all inherited, and it's the truth. So justice comes psychologically. We all have to understand that the truth is there. Secondly, when it comes to the gravesite, these headstones were removed at the authorization mm -hmm. of a priest. And so, you know, today the Saskatchewan Cemetery Act, it's illegal to remove a headstone. Even though this happened mm -hmm. around the 1960s, someone needs to be held accountable for, for this. And then thirdly, you know, justice is about restoring as well. How do you get back to a place that, you know, before it happened? And that's the hard work that I look forward to as helping lead is making sure a headstone, a name, a, a monument, a, a beautiful cosmetic gravesite so people can go there in their own time we can have uh you know vigils we can have a place of of community coming together maybe residential school survivors coming to tell their mm -hmm. story just a place where your heart feels more at peace so chief cadmus searches for unmarked graves at former residential schools are moving ahead right across canada we had 139 sites so what advice would you have for the other chiefs and leadership, you know, based on your experience right now at Maryvale, what advice would you give to other leaders across Canada as they embark on this investigation using technology to locate these graves? Because it's happening right across Canada. You, you have to gain control of the situation and you have to be mentally, emotionally ready for what is going to ripple effect from this. The gravesite is is the conversation. Mm -hmm. The experience of residential school is is the entire sphere. And people will get triggered. And you have to be ready to help them. Unfortunately, with so many in Maryville, we we that experience Maryville, we're we're, we're challenged with that on Cowses right now, trying to get to everybody. We we post um, as much as we can. We share as much as we can. But I do know some are sitting in there on their couch right now, mm -hmm. you know, still emotionally impacted. So, so that's number one. Number two, make sure you control the contracts. This is your site. These are your people. Pro bono is good, but cautious because pro bono, you don't keep feet to the fire and uh, there are a lot of companies that are coming forward and wanting to do this you know at no cost at volunteer absolutely i i love the the amount we're getting but we had a couple mm -hmm. of hiccups right away because we didn't have an official contract and we were saying no we want this done and then their response is well you know this is what i'm offering mm -hmm. okay well let's put this in contract let's make sure we so so just make sure that, that, you know, you have a strong contract with every technician. You know, thirdly, the, the technicians are important. Empower the technicians, but make sure you have someone of Indigenous ideology who knows how to speak technician language and transition it, translation it back to you. We hired a Kaosis citizen. Her name is Barb Lavalley, well-trained in this, but understands the Indigenous ideology. She like one example, the technicians were going two meters by two meters with their with their radar checking. Soon as Barb showed up, she's like, you do it again and you do one meter by one meter because bodies are the different sizes from a child to an adult. 
And when they did it over, we made sure we didn't miss any. So, so you know, those that would be my advice. And, you know, houses, we get quite busy, but we've learned a lot. Uh, we have gained a lot of strength in what we're doing. And, you know, at some point, we do need to all unite to make sure that we're not reinventing the wheel as we all do this as nations. So, Kausis, you know, we will uh, provide op opinions and, mm -hmm. and our recommendations if needed. Oh, that's good advice to other uh, leaders across Canada, you know, having detailed contracts to make sure you don't lose control over the investigation and making sure that people doing the work uh, have a First Nations perspective and ideology and understanding of how things function. So that's good recommendations going forward, Chief. You know, before I get into my last question about hope, is there anything you want to share, any thoughts or feelings that we may not have talked about, Chief, from your perspective as Chief of uh, Kaosis at uh, former site at Maryville, former site where all these these graves have been found. You know, one thing I've learned, National Chief, and you know, I'm I'm an optimistic leader, and you know, we we got a great First Nation. We we have um, you know persevered as Kaosis for decades. You know, and I'm I'm just a part of that that growth. Uh, it's it's not a Cadmus thing. It's it's a Kaosis thing, and we start to, to address things directly. We, we have to get to the core. When you start at the core and you, you realize that intergenerational trauma, it, it, it's embedded. I, I look to the hard work ahead of us addressing the real impact of intergenerational trauma, the loss of control in social life the loss of control in spirituality or religion, the loss of control in our health, in our language. You know, and when we're doing the gravesite rejuvenation right now, I'm like three steps ahead thinking, our children and our children yet unborn, intergenerational trauma is still happening. How, how do we change it to intergenerational transfer to make sure that that vertical value lineage is getting stronger from grandma to mom to daughter to granddaughter and you know the gravesite is is really tough right now but you know i'm already thinking how do we use this momentum this moment to change it to intergenerational transfer to make sure that as chief dan george said in the lament for confederation that we can be the greatest nation that we can be within a hundred years you know so so you know I, I i drive on that as my motivation to to get through this moment focusing on the gravesite you know chief cadmus the um there's two things in canada that i've always maintained that that have really hurt first nations people um in a, in a big way and we still feel the intergenerational trauma and effects uh of these things. And, uh, the first thing of course is the residential school, uh, policy in which I say was a genocide because little children were put into these institutions and everything good about being a first nations is no good. Your beautiful long hair is cut. Uh, your language was forbidden. You're cut off from your family, your community, yourself, your nation, and everything good about like, even yourself is no good. You know, this was taught and then physical abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, and we see the intergenerational trauma reflected in the 40,000 children in foster care. The jails are disproportionate number of our people in jails and high youth suicide rates. The list goes on and on. And the other thing was the Indian Act, 1876 Indian Act, you know, which allowed uh, 
the control of First Nations people. We couldn't leave the reserve without a permit. Didn't have access to a lawyer with, till 1951. Didn't even vote. Couldn't vote in federal elections till 1961. And it broke down our, our hereditary chiefs and our clan systems and outlawed Sundance and Potlatch, all these, between those two things, this, the residential school system and the Indian Act. And that Indian Act basically uh, allowed for the exploitation of our land and territory and resources. So people need to understand that those are the two things. Now, going forward, in spite of all those things, uh, our resilience should be celebrated. But I always ask our guests as well, what provides you hope? You know, National Chief, I'm going to approach this kind of in a personal matter of my journey so far. My, my dad, my late dad, um, my biggest inspiration, him and my mom. And um, my dad used to have this, this nail beside our door and he used to put our house key on it. And uh, one time I was about 10, I seen him put the house key on this nail and put a sweater over it. And after he opened the door and I'm like, dad, why do you put the key there? Someone's going to break in. He says, you know, my boy, we don't walk with our head up around here. And I'm like, what do you mean, Dad? Like, I could see it right there, you know. And, you know, it just, just what inspires me is my dad pushed me and pushed me and pushed me my entire life to show this world that an Indian can succeed at a white man's way, if that's education, if it's golfing. You know, and then my mom, a few years ago, I took her to Birdle. That's where she went to residential school. And uh, she didn't want to go, but she, deep down, I knew she did. She needed closure. She toured me of her residential school and, you know, the stories that she she toured me of. And, you know, from, from that tour, I, I realized that my mom is my, you know, my warrior in this world on, on how she raised me and, you know, realizing, you know, what, what, kind of life she actually had to go through and you know i'm optimistic of 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 the future you know i i got a call last week from phil fontaine and um you know phil was the first one to really go public in the 90s about residential school and you know he told me you speak for me you keep speaking and i'm like holy cow like like this is so inspiring like thank you phil and you know i i you know i i bring hope as I look at kids today and I'm like, okay, the past we cannot change. The present is where we're at. I will focus on the future. I will show this world that someone with a braid that has a cheeky Cree smile once in a while and can throw out some really good res jokes can walk into any room in this world and not change my attitude of who I am from the mm. reserve from a First Nation, and they will still accept me as I am because I, I don't want the next generation to have to try prove themselves. I want them to be dreamers. So, you know, I'm inspired for the future because my parents built me to be who I am today. And as a chief, I think it's the greatest job in the world. It's not an easy job. But I, I want to make sure that we have more dreamers moving forward. And that, that is what motivates me every day. Mm. Chief Cadmus, that's a very powerful message to, to, to close our Akamemu podcast on. Thank you so much for your leadership. Thank you so much for what you do for your community, First Nation, the Kausis, but for all of our people across Canada. Thank you so much again, Chief, for coming on. Thank you, Nasha Chief. 
And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Alchemy podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Thank you.